following sermon is by Pastor Brent Hedden at Desert Heights Church in Farmington, New Mexico. Amos chapter 1, verse 15. And their king and his princes will go into exile together, says the Lord. The king and his princes will go into exile together. And that the Hebrew word here that they're using for king could very easily be a play on words that refers to their god, the, the god of, of Ammon, Molech. So he could be saying, your god Molech and all of his Princes are going to go into exile together. Now, if it is a play on words, it's speculation, so we're not building theology on this, but it's, it's interesting because if you're writing a poem, you intend things for things to be figurative, and you also intend for them to sometimes have dual meaning. meaning. Does that make sense? So it's okay. We're not going to get crazy, but we're going to take a little liberty. If it is a play on words, then God... Some of you will appreciate this. God is sarcastically saying, I will send your God and his princes into exile when I send you into exile. I'm not just going to send you into exile. I'm going to send your gods into exile. How's that for exercising authority? Not only will I send you to your bedroom, I'll send your mom and your dad to the bedroom. Do you follow? That's what's happening here, kind of. If it's a play on words, God's saying... You want to serve Molech? Fine, I'll send Molech and his princes with you when you go into slavery. If it's not a play on, word, on words, then God is still sarcastically saying, I will send you and all of the powers that you worship into exile. In other words, he is saying, he is demonstrating, God is demonstrating. Either way, we, we, we look at it. God is demonstrating his supreme authority over the Ammonites. He says, you may say you have a God, but I am the God. Ooh, ought to scare you. Verse 6. Actually, number 6 is where we're at. We're down to Moab. This is not a place in Utah. This is why we need to know biblical geography. Moab is on the eastern side of the Jordan River again. The Moabites, their descendants of Lot also, uh, they had been, the Moabites, they had been forbidden to enter the temple because of Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughters. Now that's something you want in your family tree. And if you remember the story of Ruth, who shows up in the lineage of Christ in Matthew, she was a Moabite. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. The people of Moab have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They desecrated the bones of Edom's king, king of another nation. They burned them to ashes. So, verse 2, I will send down fire on the land of Moab and all the fortresses in the Kerioth, Kerioth, in Kerioth will be destroyed. The people will fall in the noise of the battle as the warriors shout and the ram's horns sound. The people will fall. Verse 3, I will destroy their king and slaughter all their princes, princes says the Lord. Not so good. That one's a short one. Now the Lord turns his attention through Amos back to Judah. This is Amos' homeland, so we're on number seven. Judah. 
Now, Judah, you remember uh, the kingdom of Israel gets divided. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom becomes Judah. So now the Lord is speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. This is still God's people. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. God has established a pattern six times to people not his children like we think of children. Six times he said, you've sinned and I'm going to punish you. The seventh time he says, Judah, you are my children. How much more is it my responsibility to punish you for your sins, whether or not you're chosen? God has established a pattern of punishing those who sin. So he says, I will not let them go unpunished. They have rejected, here's their sin, they have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. And get your brain around that? God is not going after Judah for breaking a trade agreement or for cutting open pregnant women. God is bringing punishment upon Judah because they have rejected the instruction of the Lord. And they have refused to obey him. Sometimes I have to work at drawing the application, but sweetheart, you ought to be able to get that application. There, there's, there's two applications of Amos that we need to be paying attention to as we go through it. The first application is myself. What do I do with this? Am I paying attention to the instruction of God's word? And am I living in obedience to God's word? Because I do not want to put myself in a position where I am deserving of God's punishment. So first application is myself? Am I honoring the instruction of God's word? Am I living in obedience to what God has to say? Follow? That's, that's the hard one, and that's the one we often push to the side. The second is, as we live as a nation, as the nation goes, are we rejecting the instruction of God's word? Are we living in obedience to the instruction of God's word? Because if we're not, then we, there's no reason in the world for us to arrogantly think that we are beyond the reach of God's punishment. If God punished Judah for rejecting for the instruction of God's word, God will punish America for rejecting the instruction of God's word. Why do we make such an issue out of doing soap? Why do we make an issue out of people reading their Bibles on a regular basis? Why do we make an issue out of teaching right out of the Scriptures week after week, especially those weeks that it's really, really hard to, and it doesn't seem like there's anything real positive coming out of this? This is the reason. Because if we do not turn, especially as the church, if we do not turn our brains back to the instruction of God's Word, our country is never going to follow the instruction of God's word. It is upon the church to lead the way back to obedience. If you think our government's going to lead us to Christ, boy, are you a fool. 
It's not their job. God didn't, God didn't design it to be that way. The one time that God's people said, we want a government, he said, you've lost your mind. It's just going to cause you problems. It's not going to lead you to Christ. Nothing's changed. The government's not going to redeem America. Jesus in the church is going to redeem America. Our only chance of avoiding God's punishment is for the church to turn to the instruction of God's word and to live in obedience to God's word. That's good preaching, Brent. Yeah, it is. Okay. Verse 5. So, because they have rejected the instruction of God's word, they refuse to obey him. So, I will send down fire on Judah and all the fortresses of Jerusalem. Man, that's an important city. Will be destroyed. Brent, God is being really hard on his people. Mm-hmm. Because if your child was running out in front of an 18-wheeler in front of your house, you would grab them violently and pull them away, wouldn't you? You wouldn't go out to the curb and stand at the edge of the curb and say, Now, sweetie pie, I think that you should get out of the street. Come on, I'll, I'll give you some candy if that's what you want. No, 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 no. You go running, and if you have to just flat tackle them, that's what you do. God gets passionate about bringing his people back to a right relationship with himself. We could go as far as to say he would die to bring you back to a right relationship with himself. That's good. Verse 8, here we go. Israel, so he deals with Judah. Now he's just been warming up for seven throws. Now he's going to hit the ball. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. This is what the Lord says, the people of Israel... They have sinned again and again. They've made me mad three times. Nope, they just did it a fourth time. I'm done and I will not let them go unpunished. Here's their sin. They sell honorable people for silver. Now remember this is a poem and so there's some latitude with how we look at this. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. So they're, they're in slave trade and they're doing it cheap. They're taking advantage of poor people. People who are otherwise very honorable people. These are people who are doing good. They're living right. They're doing the best they can. They just don't have resources. So then they get caught up in slave trade. So Israel is selling honorable people for silver and for a pair of sandals pair of flip-flops. Verse 7, they trample helpless people in the dust and they shove the oppressed out of the way. Now these are, I think that in our culture we look at it as like, well, this is pretty, pretty minimal behavior. It's not terribly bad. God's not happy with it. They trample helpless people in the dust. They shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. Now, corrupting my holy name is also a deviation from the typical template because he's saying, these are my children, and I, have, I do have expectations. I tell my kids every once in a while, you're a hidden. That's why you behave well, because the hiddens behave well. And if you're not going to behave well and be a hidden, then I'm going to help you behave well because you are a hidden, Right? He says, you're corrupting my holy name. Israel is getting rid of their 
honorable people for a price. They are mistreating their poor. They're oppressing the helpless. And immorality has become normalized. Immorality has become normalized. So not only are we not reading God's word and obeying it, but overt sin against God's word is acceptable socially. Do you follow? So if you want to watch sin on your television in your living room, that's okay. If you want to partake in a little sin that is socially acceptable, that's okay. No big worries. And God says, I will not allow them to go unpunished. If you think that America is going to overtly sin against God and not suffer punishment, then you're not reading the instruction book. We are in trouble. When 9-11 happened, the church should have set up and said, this is God warning us. And we did for two weeks. And then we were back off to our slave trade and our immorality and our mistreating the poor. Alarms, as we read this, alarms should be sounding in our hearts of where we are at as a people, as individuals, as a nation. Verse 8, at their religious festivals, he's not being specific to uh, religious festivals to God, just religious festivals because uh, Israel's gone off the rails, they're, they're serving other gods, there's a whole bunch of problems going on, so he's not being specific. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing, their debtors put up as security. I'll explain that in a minute. In the house of their gods, maybe big G, maybe little G, we don't know, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. So here's what they did. They would loan money to a poor person. They would take their clothing as collateral. Follow? And then they would wear that person's clothing to go to church and worship God. Now, God had already told Israel back in Exodus chapter 22, verse 26. He says, if you loan somebody money and you take their clothes as collateral, then you don't keep their clothes overnight because that's just unjust to the borrower. The reason he's borrowing money is because he's poor. So you don't keep his cloak and leave him out in the cold overnight. But Israel, they're taking the collateral. Sorry you're so poor, but I'm going to wear an extra coat to church tonight. I'm going to go worship God, tell him how wonderful I am. To further their offense to God, they have used their sinful practices as a means to worship and to celebrate. It's unclear whether or not they're worshiping big G God or little G God. Uh, Remember, they've been worshiping uh, this golden calf in Bethel. Either way, the people of Israel are arrogantly flaunting their sin. I think arrogantly and, and largely ignorantly. Flaunting their sin in God's face. We've charged fines to people that don't deserve fines, and we went and bought some great communion wine so that we can have a really great communion service. We ripped off some people so that we can have a good time together. Oh, God's going to be so pleased with us. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No. Verse 9. But there's the contrast. And here, this is... This is fire and brimstone. But as my people 
But as my people watched, God is speaking. He says, I destroyed the Amorites. So Israel, while you're in your stolen coat, drinking your unjust wine, you'll watch as I destroy the Ammonites, though they were as tall as cedars and strong as oaks. He's painting a picture. The Ammonites, huge people. We watch God obliterate them. I destroyed their fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. Israel, if you think you're something special... God's coming after you. Pay attention. It was I who rescued them, you from Egypt and led you through the desert for 40 years so you could possess the land of the Amorites. Remember when you came into the promised land, there was these giants and God went before and he obliterated them so he could give you the land? You know the power of God. I had, uh, at one of the funerals this week, uh, they did, it is no secret what God can do. I think that came from this text, maybe. I don't know. It's no secret what God can do. He does fantastic, enormous things. So for Israel to sit back and think that they can sin against God and God cannot touch them? What? You've seen God touch foreigners multiple times before. Foreigners who were better uh, defended by their cities, who were bigger and stronger and faster than you. He's coming. Verse 11. I chose some of your uh, sons to be prophets. He's speaking to Israel. He's, he's pleading with them. He's saying, Israel, I chose some of your very own sons to be my prophets, to speak for me, and others to be Nazarites. And Nazarites is an interesting thing because this is a group of people who took a special oath of holiness. So they're not just going to live in the land of God's chosen people of Israel, but they take an oath to not drink any wine whatsoever, and they're not going to cut their hair ever. You'll remember Samson was, was a, a Nazarite. He goes on, he says, can you deny this, my people of Israel? Ask the Lord. He's saying, Israel, don't you see that I am intimately involved with your children and calling them to be my prophets and I'm, I'm with them as they're Nazarites and I'm making them holy and we're working together. Verse 12, but you caused the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine when they had taken an oath to God to not drink wine and you commanded the prophets to shut up. I don't know all of the story, but it was several months ago in Houston where, I believe it was the mayor of Houston, it was one of the political leaders in Houston who said that uh, they wanted to have a recording of all the pastor's sermons because they wanted to filter to see if they were speaking against homosexuality. I think that's the beginning. I don't think that they got, a, got by with it. I think that that has gone, it's past, it's history, it didn't happen. But my point is, is that church, we are, if we've not already taken the fork in the road, we're standing at the fork in the road in America, where we're either going to let the prophets of God speak God's word, or we're going to shut them up. And the evidence so far, I think, is that we're leaning towards shutting them up. We do not want people, we do not want men to stand up and say, this is God's word. If you sin, you will be punished. We want to live in a world that says, I have a right to do anything I want, and you go suck an egg. That's in the message too. Are you with me? That's our culture. Don't tell me I have to be a Christian. Don't tell me that your God will punish me for living in vile sin against him. 
Don't tell me I don't have a right to live in my own filth. You do, but you have to understand that God is going to come. And I don't want him to. I don't want him to come and punish you for your sin. I want you to come to Jesus and be forgiven of your sin. All right, we're off track. Verse 13. So, I will make you groan. Here's a picture. He's going to draw several pictures here. You've got to pay attention. I'm almost done. We've got to hurry. So I will make you groan. He's talking to Israel. Israel, you've sinned. You've messed up. You've done all these things. You've turned against the God's word. You've, you've told the Nazarites. You've forced them into drinking alcohol. You've, you've told the prophets to shut up. You don't want to hear God's word. He says, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you like a, a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. You know, a wooden wagon wheel, and it creaks under the, under the weight because carrying the weight of sin is heavy, right? So we're, you, you know what? You want to live in sin? Then we'll put all the weight of sin on your back, and you'll carry the weight of that sin. You'll creak and moan and groan like a wooden wagon wheel. Verse 14, he says, your fastest runners will not get away. Okay, okay, keep in mind, this is merciful, loving God. And he's telling Israel, Israel, would you please stop sinning? You've sinned three times. You've sinned four times. I'm trying my best to get you to come back to a right relationship with God. Because if you do not, I'm going to put the weight of sin on you. Then your fastest runners will not be fast enough to get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. I'm going to bring your defensives down. I'm going to come in like a mighty storm. And I'm going to devour. And I'm going to cause problems and chaos and devastation. He says in verse 15, he says, the archers that you put so much faith in, they will not stand their ground. Their swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape. Even those running horse, even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. There is no hope for you if you do not turn back to, to, to the Lord God. Verse 16, on that day, the most courageous of your fighting men will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. Oh, he's serious. Israel was God's chosen people, yet they were not spared punishment for their sin against God. As individuals and as a nation... We must never think we are beyond the reach of God's punishment and God's discipline. We must not lose perspective that God has supreme, universal, sovereign authority. I can't think of any other big words. That's all I got. He has authority over everything. Sure, we want... We want Joel and his love, or we want Hosea and God's love that is just ferocious, but we actually want it on our terms. We want God's power from Joel, uh, where God will be powerful, especially in my bad circumstances. I want him to have power to get me out of bad circumstances. But then we come to, to Amos, and we don't always want to submit to the authority of God's instructions. I love God being a God of love. I love God being a God of power. But God having authority over Brent's will, oh, oh, we have a problem. We don't really want to surrender our rights for God's righteousness. You could tweet that. It's pretty good. 
We don't want to surrender our rights for God's righteousness. We really don't want to give up our freedom of self-indulgence for slavery to God's holiness. Just like these eight nations, we demand our right to sin. Ignoring that God has all authority and has historically used His power to punish nations for the purpose of lovingly bringing them back to himself. Are you with me? It's not difficult to understand. We cannot, we cannot arrive at peace with God by continually sinning against him. It's logical. We cannot arrive at peace with God by continuing to sin against Him. As a nation, as, in, as individuals in this nation, we must put God first. We must obey His instructions. We must submit to Him as King over our individual lives as well as King over our nation. We must turn to Him for healing. We must turn to Him for mercy. We must turn to Him for justice and for righteousness because there's no justice and no righteousness outside of the King. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we love You, Lord, for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, I thank You so abundantly that we stand, we get to live on this side of, of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ that provides grace for us. This side of the cross that provides your Holy Spirit to come and transform our hearts so that we, we have inside of us your spirit longing to grow us into the full maturity of Christ. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for calling our attention to your holiness, your disdain for sinfulness, and that you mercifully call to us to come back and to live in a right relationship with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Help us to put our focus completely upon you, to fix our eyes upon you, because you are at work to author and to perfect our faith. We love you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We appreciate 505 Motorsports for sponsoring today's broadcast. The rest of this message can be heard at DesertHikesChurch.com. We'd love to have you join us at Desert Hikes for the next message in this series this Sunday morning at 1030.